If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Ezekiel chapter 37, should be page 724 in the blue Bibles underneath your chairs. Um, kind of go to the middle of the Bible and go to the right a little bit. You'll find it eventually. Um, so we are in a sermon series called Spirituality According to Jesus, as we're, we're looking at the, the gift of the Holy Spirit and what, what that means for us. And so last week, that's what we zeroed in on, uh, was this idea that the moment you profess faith in Christ, not only are you forgiven of everything past, present, and future, but you're also given the gift of God's Spirit, who now dwells in you and with you. It's the same Spirit that spoke the stars into existence, or breathe them out, as the scriptures say, and also the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, so that we might be Christ's witnesses where God has planted us, so that we could be this mysterious presence to, of, of showing people who Jesus is and translating the gospel for our neighbors in that way. So all that to say is Presbyterians are charismatic too. Um, and so this morning, um, going to continue in this vein, but wanna, as we look at Ezekiel, we're going to get a language to describe what happened when the Holy Spirit uh, comes into our lives, uh, trying to make sense, give a language to describe our spiritual experience with the God of the Bible. And so let's read this and pray. This is God's word. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. 
Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. And this is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love. His word is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, may your spirit cause us to abound in hope even when life goes not well. Uh, we can say these things that we have a living hope because Jesus is alive. He is sitting at your right hand. He is ruling and reigning over us um, with you. And so I pray, the Lord, that your spirit would again preach the gospel to our hearts this morning. Show us Jesus in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I have an interesting uh, guilty pleasure, and I think I'm not alone, in is, is I enjoy reading and watching uh, apocalyptic stories. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird, unique American pastime to come home from work and turn on the TV or watch a movie where uh, people are just struggling, right? And, and you know what apocalyptic stories usually are, right? They're stories that take you to the end of the world to the end of hope where people are being beaten and battered in every way imaginable. Um, they feel trapped and they're trying to claw their way out to, to either scratch out a living or to, to find hope to, to get back to the way the world ought to be. Right. So some pop culture things, right. You can think hunger games. Um, you can think any zombie movie or for sci-fi nerds, right? Battlestar Galactica is the Cylons have destroyed everything. Or there might be one other person in the room that knows what I'm talking about, <laughs> right? Or there's real life apocalyptic stories. Um, just go and read about the horrors of the World War I trenches or what life was like in Auschwitz and, and how how the survivors got through it. Right, so in some ways, Ezekiel thirty-seven is 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 a bit of an apocalyptic vision. It show for Israel, it feels like life is over. It has ended. Um, I mean, that's what they're they're saying here in this valley of the dry bones. The the, the dry bones. Israel's saying our our hope is gone. Our bones are dried up. We are indeed cut off. Right, and so these. Dry bones, it's a visual image of hope that has been long dead with no hope for anything good to happen in the future. Right? And if you might know your, your Bible history, right? Israel is in exile in Babylon. Ezekiel himself is one of those exiles in Babylon. They have dealt with the trauma of their home being destroyed, the loss of loved ones. You read Psalm 137, right? They have visual images of their children being ripped from their arms and, and killed in horrific, unimaginable ways, right? They're angry, they're grieving, and they're saying, we're stuck. Our hope is lost. And then to add to the just the physical suffering that they're going through, living in a place that they never signed up to live, um, they say we're cut off, and, and in, in the biblical language, to be cut off is specifically saying we are cut off from relationship with God, right? So in, in Deuteronomy, God would say, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you will be cut off, right? And so here they are in Babylon in suffering, and they are suffering partially because they just did not 
take God's word seriously. They did not obey. They, instead of enjoying the light and warmth of God's smiling face upon them, uh, they have a cold shoulder, so to speak, because of their own unfaithfulness, uh, their own failure. So you put it this way, right? Our hope is lost and our relationship with Yahweh is dead. Uh, we're cut off, right? This is, this is the ugly aftermath of a really messy spiritual divorce. That's where Israel is at emotionally. This is the valley of the dry bones. <laughs> and so you had that picture, right? Here's Israel. They're sinning. They're sufferers. They're, they're sinners. But what's fantastic about apocalyptic visions in the scriptures, they are designed to restore hope. It, you, you get a view of what life looks like from God's perspective, right? It looks bleak now, but let me show you what God is going to do uh, to, to give you new eyes to see your circumstances. And, and so that's what Ezekiel 37 is for. It's written to sinners and sufferers to reveal to us um, why and how we can have hope when life goes not well, right? And if you're human, that's, that's who you are, someone who's suffered and is suffering as well as uh, sinning. We're not think, we don't put God's will first. And so the question is, can these bones live? <laughs> is there hope? And so before we get there, right, we're going to spend some time in this apocalyptic world, the Valley of the Dry Bones. Let's look at the, the helplessly dead. All right, and that, that, is, that is what Ezekiel is saying here, right? We, we are dead without God in need of resurrection. All right, so you, you look at the landscape in the beginning of the chapter. Ezekiel, by, the prophet, has this mystical, spiritual experience. He's taken out to a valley, a valley filled with dry bones. And, and it says, right, he's, they, he, this person, the spirit, led him around among them. So he's just going back and forth through this big landscape, and there's just dry bones everywhere, right? Like you can, you can imagine the remnants of a battlefield. Nobody's been buried. They've just been exposed to the sun long enough so that all that's left are, are these bones bleached white and sun dry. Right? And so, Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Right? And he's wise enough to say, Lord, you know. <laughs> he doesn't say no. He doesn't say yes. The Lord, you got this. And then he says this astounding thing. I want you to speak to the dead. Speak to the dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. Right? And, and you know what this, you're, this is supposed to be ridiculous, right? This is supposed to be shocking. Right? You remember that scene in, in The Princess Bride, right? Wesley's dead, and they take him to Miracle Max. And uh, Miracle Max starts talking to dead Wesley. And, and his friend's like, oh, why are you talking to the dead? That's weird. Right? It's like, ah, you think you know something. <laughs> He's only mostly dead. Because <laughs> there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. <laughs> Besides, if it was all dead, there's only one thing you can do. Uh, raid their pockets and look for loose change. <laughs> right? Mostly dead or all dead. God wants Israel to see something about themselves that their diagnosis is not wrong. Uh, they are all dead, not mostly dead. 
That's why it's not just saying, oh, we saw bodies, we saw corpses, right? This is dry bones, way beyond what, what Elijah, was it Elijah or Elisha, right? If they would prey on those who recently died and raise them from the dead. No, this is so far gone that they're beyond the help of CPR and first responders. It's Israel. You are hopelessly and helplessly dead in your sins and suffering, all right? Now, he's talking to Israel. What about us, right? Um, well, Israel is a case study for all of humanity, right? We too, you go back to Genesis 3, that's the story of every human being. We're in exile. We are, we have been cast out of God's presence, right? Sent out into the land of death. From dust you came to dust you'll return. And so every human being really has the same battle we are we are the dry bones we are haunted by death it continually ruins our our hopes and dreams um, so like like adam and israel to be human is to be helplessly dead in our sins and suffering cut off from god and cut off from hope and it's hard to say that only there's very few places in the world where, where we're that honest about the state of things Right? But but what this is describing, this is what theologians call our, our total depravity, right? That this is the human state and human nature without God's intervention. Uh, we are dry bones, right? That you know, most of us come to faith saying, oh, I, I come to Jesus because I just need a little self-improvement. I screwed up in this area, right? We, we come thinking we're mostly dead. <laughs> But that's not what Ezekiel is saying to Israel. It's like, one, your choices led you here, and you're suffering. Right? You are dry bones in need of resurrection. Right? So what does that mean to be like the dry bones? And uh, Well, Ezekiel is really specific. If you look at verse 14, um, where this is the promise that I'm going to put my spirit within you, and you shall live. Right? It's to put your spirit in you is actually a hyperlink to chapter 36. So if you go back one page to chapter 36, verse 25, we get another picture to add to the dry bones, and it's a stony heart. All right, Ezekiel 36, 25, right? God says, through Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. So there's that same line again. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so this adds a whole nother dimension, right? Israel's not only dry bones because they can't change their circumstances. Uh, they don't have hope for the future. But what Ezekiel 36 is saying, you know, what, what, what's wrong with human beings is we have this thing called a heart of stone. Um, that, in other words, our, our default mode is we, we have other cares, other concerns, other loves that cause us to not care what God thinks. And so we do whatever it is we want to do, right? That's a heart of stone. A heart of stone 
here's what is right. It says, yeah, but I'm going to do this thing instead. Right? I know I should forgive, but I don't want to because it hurts. I know I should fill in the blank, but I don't want to because I love this other thing more. Right? See, to, to, to be dry bones, to have a heart of stone, is that there's something not just wrong with our behavior, not just wrong with my behavior, I'm picking on me, right? That outside of God's intervention, I don't want to do what God wants. That the most natural thing in the world for me as a human being is to not take this seriously, right? to, to ignore anything God says, or just take what already I agree with, right? Right? And so, I mean, if I had to guess, you're like me by default. This is our default mode. I don't like to think I'm dry bones. I don't like to think I have a heart of stone. Right? We, we say, well, I have free will. I, I, I make good decisions sometimes. Right? In other words, our default mode is the complete opposite of this text. Uh, I see myself as partially alive. That if I get it right, then I can raise up the dry bones myself. Right? But that's, listen to verse 11 of chapter 37, right? Son of man, say to Israel, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Right? And if you're saying, well, that's Israel, that's not me. Well, Paul's even more specific in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And the way he describes that is, well, we were We just did whatever the world did. We did whatever we wanted. We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Paul knew Ezekiel. So human nature, this is what we're like. Do you you see yourself that way as the dry bones Uh, that that by default, unless God intervenes, we're those who cut off from God unaware of what he's up to, wonder if he cares, wonder if he sees me, right? This is hard. Right? This is total depravity doesn't mean we are the worst. It just means in our goodness and our badness, we're still dry bones, right? And it's absolutely crushing to our pride. <laughs> but don't mistake dry bones for self-loathing, right? This isn't saying, oh, I'm the worst, this is God being brutally honest with us and saying, no, you, you're dead and you need resurrection. Right. And if you think about it, isn't that not what you want? You want God to be honest and tell you the truth, even when it hurts. I mean, if you think about it this way, the church has been called a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Right. And I know from my own experience and from talking to you, to many of you, you know what life in a hospital is like, right? You, you go in because the symptoms are just beating you up and battering you down, right? But we don't go to the doctors and say, you know, the truth is really painful and inconvenient. Just tell me you love me, right? Give me an inspirational message to get through my week. Now, a doctor who refuses to make sense of your symptoms wouldn't be a good doctor, right? And, and we go in with completely different expectations. Now, when you come to church, God, God is kind enough 
with brutal honesty to say, let me tell you what your problem is, right? You have symptoms, guilt, shame, fear, hopelessness. But what's actually wrong is there's something inside you that's off. It's killing you. You're dead, right? And according to Ezekiel, our biggest problem is not just breaking commandments. Is that we are dead to God, dead to his will, and dead to what he wants, with no hope of change on our own. And that's the valley of the dry bones. Right? So what's our hope? What's the solution here? Right? The, the spirit who makes us alive. And that's, it is all the way through here. Right? We're trying to make sense of our spiritual experience, right? And, and God says, if you're, this is the, the testimony of the scripture, if you're a Christian, you're a new creation, you're, this is evidence now of the spirit making you alive, making you well. And so in verse five, God says, speak to the bones. I'm going to cause breath to enter you and you will live and talks about sinews and flesh and then skin. And I'm going to put breath in you and you shall live. And, and it, it's interesting how the story is told because one, that's what happens Right, Ezekiel's running through this valley of dry bones, valley of the dead, speaks what God tells him to speak, and these strange lifeless bodies are formed, right? They look human, but they have no breath. That's verse 8, right? Bone to bone, but there was no breath in them. And then God says, this is step two, prophesy to the breath. Say to the breath, come from the four winds, from all over, right? Breathe on these slain so they may live. And as Eagle says, okay, I did what I was told and breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So two things that help make sense of this. All right, one, the word for breath and spirit in Hebrew is the exact same word, uh, ruach. I gotta say it with a ch, right? And so when God says in verse 14, here's your hope. I'm going to give you my spirit and make you alive. He's already said that repeatedly through the context of these humans being reformed, right? He's, he's saying, you need my breath, my spirit to live. You can't raise yourself from the dead, right? And so what, what this is Israel's hope that God's word, God speaks and made real by the power of the spirit, they come together to raise Israel up from the dead. Right, and what, what's the effect? What's the goal? I'm, I'm zeroing in exact, uh, specifically on what the Holy Spirit does. Right, it's three main effects. The first thing, when the Holy Spirit comes and makes you alive, one of the, the effects that you will see and experience, according to Ezekiel, is you will know the Lord. Right, before you were dead to God, you didn't understand him, you didn't know him, you didn't care what he thought. But when the Spirit comes, verse 13, you shall know I am the Lord. Right? And so what does that mean? Well, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, you get to know you get to know doctrine. Right? You actually want to know him. But usually, and especially in Ezekiel, it's this is talking by experience. Um, right? It's it's the it's an intimate and personal knowing. Right, that you will know something that you didn't know about God before through his resurrection, through him raising the dry bones to life. 
So what are you going to learn? Well, one, you're going to learn his power. <laughs> uh, you're going to learn his mercy, right? In other words, he, the dry bones aren't just helpless victims. Right? We've chosen to rebel, to, to do whatever we wanted, regardless of what God's told us. Uh, See, Israel is going to learn, same thing we learn, that God is rich in mercy. While Israel is still dead in their trespasses and sins, he's going to make them alive. You get to know the Lord when the Spirit comes. That's part of the Spirit's role, is to teach you who God is. Second, the Holy Spirit's going to give you hope for the future. Resurrection is all the way through this, and it's really tempting to want to say, okay, the Old Testament is pointing to the resurrection of everyone at the end of all things. We kind of want to import what what the New Testament tells us, but this is really specific. This is aimed at Israel and their current circumstances, right? But the problem is Israel did get back (laughs) into the promised land. They did go home after the exile. And what was promised here didn't fully happen. And they still died. This shows us that death really is the great enemy to all our hopes for the future. And it's showing us that God's power is sufficient to overcome death. Do you believe that? I mean, George Herbert wrote, the old, old poet, the death used to be an executioner, but now the resurrection has just made him a gardener. Changes the way you see the valley of the dry bones. Right? That, in other words, what, what I think God is promising here in Ezekiel 37 is, is the potential of a living hope. Right? It's, it's vague, it's shadowy, but a hope that death cannot destroy or take away from you. It's the reality that the Spirit can make you alive. We need the New Testament to make that more clear. But do you have hope for the future? I mean, the statistics, especially as life just gets harder. Um, Young people in particular don't have very much hope about the future. They don't know if they can afford college. They don't know. They don't have much hope in our political system, right? They don't have much hope for their own personal financial future. It's going to look like it's more of a struggle than what it was for their parents. Um, all the all the stuff I read about where people's thoughts towards the future is bleak. And what the resurrection does, it says, God is able to turn things around. And if you have God's spirit, you have hope for the future. Because if death is the enemy and death is overcome by the power of the spirit, what will take away your hope? Nothing if death is taken away, if it's removed. So this gives hope for our future. Great hope as you think about the new heavens and new earth and the reality that even an even greater human experience is yet to come with God. Right? And third, this gives hope for our dead hearts. Right? That the Holy Spirit is going to make us spiritually alive. Uh, that once before I knew God, I did not care what he wanted. But now, according to the spirit, because of the spirit, I should say, I say, Lord, your will be done and mean it, right? Not just as a rote prayer. <laughs> and that's what, he, that's what Ezekiel 36 promised, that the spirit would write God's law 
on your heart so that you love God and love your neighbor. So that you want to. It's going to give you a whole new set of desires to compete with your selfishness. It'll give you a heart of flesh. In other words, you'll be teachable. You'll be sensitive to what God says. Right? So the, the spirit, right, introduced, helps you get to know the Lord. He gives you hope for the future. He gives you hope for yourself. You can change. So how do you get the spirit as Christians? Right, and we read John 3 on purpose uh, this morning. Because Jesus says the same thing as Ezekiel, just in different words. Right, you know what Jesus said about being a Christian, about getting God's spirit? Unless you are born again, you won't even see the kingdom of God. Uh, that unless you're born again, of born of water and the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Do you hear what he's saying? Right? You, you're dead. Like your current mode of existence is not sufficient to make you a Christian by your own willpower. Now, Jesus is using the language of Ezekiel 36 and 37 to describe what we need to happen. And what we need to happen is for the spirit, like the wind, to blow through and make us alive. Right? And, and it's fascinating that who is Jesus having this conversation with? Right? He's not looking at the worst of the worst and saying, yeah, you need to start over. You've made all kinds of questionable decisions. Like those you would say, yeah, those people are dead. Right? No, this is, he's talking to Nicodemus. This is a Bible teacher, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. Someone who is respectable and respectful. I mean, he's actually coming to Jesus when all of his colleagues hate Jesus. He might be scared and doing it at night, but he still comes and calls him rabbi. Um, this is someone who's committed his whole life to keeping God's law. Imperfectly, of course. And Nicodemus, you too, oh, one of the best examples of humanity you can find, you too must be born again. You too are dry bones. Of course, Nicodemus goes, how can this be? And Jesus' snarky response is, dude, you're, you're the teacher of Israel, and how do you not know this? I mean, if read between the lines, Nicodemus, haven't you read Ezekiel? As one who knows the scriptures. Right? And so, how do you get the spirit? Well, that leads to John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? So, what did God the Father sent God the Son to do something for us? so that we might have the spirit, right? And what did he do? Two things, became the dry bones and he willingly chose to be cut off from God. Isaiah 53, by oppression and judgment, the Messiah was taken away. And as for his generation, those watching, they consider that he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the transgression of my people, right? See, on the cross, Jesus Christ, the giver of life, chose to go down into the valley of dry bones, be crucified, dead, and buried, cut off from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
taking the, the curse of being cut off from God that we deserve in love, right? So that we might receive his mercy and be made alive through the power of the spirit. Right? And see the, the pattern, this is what happens. Jesus in love takes the judgment we deserved so that we could receive the gift of the spirit so that we could be spirit-filled, loved children of God. And what happened to Jesus is he did. He went down into death. And he was dead for three days. But it was the spirit that raised Jesus up bodily from the dead. Right? And then what's fascinating is what does Jesus do then? After the resurrection. Jesus, the better Ezekiel, the one who's who was dead is now alive. He he appears to his disciples in John 20, and he immediately says, Peace be with you, right? You're you're forgiven. I'm for you. But then he says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Notice the connection between breath and spirit. This is Jesus doing in real life for his disciples what Ezekiel did to the dry bones. (laughs) And so how do you get the spirit? You have to believe the gospel. Um, the moment you you say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. The moment you bring nothing but your deadness to the God who makes alive, uh, you'll be dry bones no more. <laughs> right? I'm not going to sing the song. <laughs> but you'll be a, a spirit-filled, beloved child of God, a living testimony to the resurrection power of God. And it's spiritual at first. We get stage one. We're the first fruits, right? But, but what's coming is a full-on bodily resurrection after we die. And so this morning, this is why I chose this passage, right? We're going to talk more about spiritual gifts later in the series. But if you're a Christian, if you have made that profession of faith, you have the Holy Spirit and you already are a living miracle, right? You have already experienced the resurrection power of the gospel. You have been made alive by the Spirit, right? And I know our it's really tempting when you start getting into the talking about being charismatic uh, to want to make a really big deal about the supernatural things that are in the, in the New Testament, right? Like speaking other language, languages. I would love to just wake up one day and speak another language. Um, dramatic healings or, or speaking God's word in a particular place in a particular time to prophesy that, that ministers to someone because you have the discernment to know what they need to hear. We're just casting out demons, right? To have the awareness that, that the evil one is at work, right? That's spiritual power. But, but what the Bible celebrates more than anything else is the spiritual resurrection more than that, right? Because to be a Christian is to be a spiritual corpse that God made alive through faith in Jesus. That you, as Paul will say, you have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in you. And so if you're a Christian, you're a walking miracle. <laughs> what is a miracle? Well, something that breaks the laws of nature. The most natural thing is to hate God and not want Jesus to ruin and, and, and interrupt and change your life. You know, by nature, we don't want God, but now the, this is the evidence. This is the way we look for evidence of the spirit, right? Because the spirit regenerates us, you want to hear and believe the gospel. You want, 
Jesus to be your king and you say, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? I mean, every belief and behavior that is Christian, it's unnatural. But the testimony of the scripture is the supernatural gets involved and the spirit makes you alive. And so that if you actually love someone without anything in it for yourself, but because Jesus says to love, right? praise God, the spirit's made you alive. And if, you, if you're even crazy enough to stand up and say, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm a, I'm a, I'm like, well, that's what Paul said, right? I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst. You don't have to get specific. But my story is one of grace. Jesus intervened. The spirit made me alive. And so part of what I'm hoping you, you see is, right, Christianity, yeah, it's, it's when you believe, you get the gift of everlasting life. What begins now will continue on into eternity. But we're describing something that happens to you, right? The spirit invading, making the dead alive. I mean, one of the most helpful images I've heard, right, is before you became a Christian, right? You picture picture this way. You have a lion, right? Or some kind of predatorial cat. And you're going to feed them, right? And you, you put together before this predatorial cat, um, kale salad, right? Humans don't choose that either, but that's another conversation, right? You got kale salad and you got a delicious steak, gazelle, freshly killed, right? By nature, what is that lion going to choose, right? The kale salad or the meal, right? By nature, you know, every single time, I mean, you can run your tests, but you ain't choosing the kale, <laughs> right? Because that's his nature. And that's, that's what Ezekiel is telling us that by nature, the dry bones, right? God looks like a kale salad to sinners, right? But when the spirit gets involved, all of a sudden your desires change and God becomes attractive. I want to know him. I want to know his love. I want to know his will. I want to know his ways because God breathed on us. So do you believe that? Because the moment you do, the gospel becomes the best news you've ever heard because you realize your helplessness and God came after you anyway, despite who you are and what you've done. Because right? one, if you believe that, it's going to give you hope for other people. Because if he did that for you, what's required is the same miracle that saved you. Right? Everyone is a pile, if everyone is dead apart from grace, a pile of dry bones, all it means is that the spirit can make anyone alive. Anyone can become a Christian, right? I mean, think of the most diamond-hearted person who doesn't want to hear you talk about religion, right? The spirit, that's all the spirit needs to work with is a hard heart. But it also gives us hope for ourselves that, that we can change, right? The Holy Spirit's at work in you. Right? It doesn't mean the battle goes away. It now, now means the battle begins because now you have your desires living in you and you have the spirit's desires living in you and they get to compete. What it, what it does mean is you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead, helping you along the way to want to forgive, to want to love difficult people, to love the church, to, to want to do battle and tell yourself no, because, 
because of Jesus. And then third, it definitely gives us hope for the future. If you have the Holy Spirit and you have been raised to spiritual life, you're already connected to eternity. You're already part of the new creation. That the, the same spirit is with you, right? You're now, you're now in, right? You're already part of the new heavens and new earth. It's just broken into this dead world, right? And so we have an assurance that even as you face death, you don't face death alone. The spirit is going to be with you um, until you see Jesus face to face. And so the challenge for us, this is what I'll leave you with, right? This is a lot of this is just trying to give words to describe our spiritual experience that we were dead, but God in Christ has made us alive through the spirit. But the challenge for us is to connect Ezekiel 37 with Acts chapter one, right? That, The image in Ezekiel 37 is once God raises Israel from the dead, they're this massive, um, literally it says in the Hebrew, a great, very, very great army. Um, And in Acts 1, it's it's a whole group of, it's a small band actually of of Christ's witnesses. (laughs) And so here's here's the connection. The church is God's spirit-filled army who've been saved by grace to send out into the world to make Christ known, to be his witnesses. Our culture here is army and things, violence and religion and freaks out and runs. But we're an army of the redeemed. Uh, We're an army of those who, what we're we're guilty of being violent of is putting Christ to death. (laughs) And we're, we, we are under Jesus's authority and sent out to be living testimonies of the miracle of the spiritual resurrection we've received, pointing to the actual resurrection of Jesus, right? And so when Paul says, by grace, you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast, right? He also says we are his workmanship. And that's, that's that forming language, a new body, Right, it's created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we are sent out to do those good works filled with the Spirit, and we don't go alone so that people might see Christ in us. You know, I think I think C.S. Lewis got it right. You remember, you remember the Chronicles of Narnia, the very first one, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. What does the White Witch do? She turns everyone to stone, right? And as the battle approaches, how does Aslan, the Jesus figure, recruit his army, those who are going to invade the kingdom of darkness with him? He goes up to these stone statues, these cold stone hearts, and breathes his spirit on them. And they come to life, and everybody's celebrating, singing, dancing, and rejoicing at the grace they've received. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for this astounding gift of salvation, and I pray you would soften our hearts. I pray there are those who don't know Jesus, that you would show them Christ crucified, who loves them, who's willing through to give them the gift of the perfect record of Jesus's perfection, uh, to justify us, to accept us. Uh, Lord, I pray that, that you would show us again 
show our show our unbelieving hearts the, the the magnitude of the miracle we received and i pray for hope church lord that we would be that faithful army sent out into the world to to be witnesses of the light that jesus is alive and that his spirit is in us so we pray that you would be about that good work of making of changing those you have declared perfect in christ so may your spirit be at work in us we pray in jesus name Amen.